Hello and welcome to episode 115 of the Batflip Crazy podcast, where you'll always find enthusiastic, data-driven fantasy baseball analysis and strategy. I am your host, Toby. Today is episode number 23 of Bubba and the Batflip, and it is a special episode, our first guest episode. It is going to be a recap of uh, Saturday's Barf Draft. That's the Bay Area Rotisserie Fantasy League. Um, it is a baseball and football fantasy league for um, fantasy uh, analysts in the Bay Area of California. And it's a ton of fun. It's a 14-team league, OBP and quality starts instead of average and wins. A really good time, but the podcast is awesome. I'm joined, as always, by Bubba. And then we have our first guest, uh, Sammy Reed, uh, at Sammy Reed FI on Twitter. Sammy is awesome. He is a great player and he is an awesome human being and just a really fun guy to hang out with uh, for the barf draft and to talk to. So really hope you enjoy this special episode of Bub and the Bat Flip. We will be back uh, on uh, Monday night slash Tuesday morning is probably when most of you listen uh, with uh, the first part of our outfield preview. So it should be a really good time. Uh, as always, if you enjoy the podcast, please do go over to iTunes and give us a rating uh, and review. Always, always appreciate that. Thanks so much for everybody uh, who has done that recently, especially uh, folks who are putting a review as well so that we can kind of read that and get some feedback. Um, it is always super helpful and warms the soul. You can reach me uh, on Twitter at Batflip crazy. Bubba is available on Twitter at BDentric. Let's get this party started. And welcome back everybody to another episode of Bubba and the Bat Flip episode 23, a special edition. Going to recap the barf draft that took place in on Saturday in San Francisco, California. Myself and Toby participated in it and our special guest who we'll get to in a second was in it as well. You can find me on Twitter at BDentric, Toby on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. What's up, Toby? Nothing much, Bubba. Um, I don't. The audience doesn't know it yet, but we're in a little bit of a, a little bit of a spat. Uh, <laughs> we had some uh, shenanigans take place, you know, in the mid in the middle rounds of the barf draft, which which I think we'll get to later on. But uh, I'm over it. I'm over it. I promise. <laughs> sounds like it. It really does. Yeah, it sounds yeah, like it for sure. Um, we we will definitely get to that because I know the guest that I'm going to introduce now. You can find him on Twitter at Sammy Reed Fi was laughing his ass off when this took place in the draft one of many times but sammy how we doing man i'm doing awesome man i uh i love your guys's podcast i uh rail it constantly and it's one of my favorites and so to be on it as an honored guest is a is a you know huge honor so allow me to introduce myself myself here i am thank you you're yeah. technically the first guest on bub and the bat flip so it's gonna be kind of fun oh wow this is this is big time for me i finally yes. arrived <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, you finally made it. I'm glad we could help you finally make it, Sammy. It, it's it's so great. Maybe you could. Yeah, I'm just not gonna say anymore. Um, before we get into the bark draft, though, let's talk about the trade that took place in the middle of the bark draft, and we can swing it through the draft there if you want. But Emilio Pagan from Tampa Bay goes to San Diego for Manny Margot. I know Toby, you're tweeting it out. What's your take on uh, the Rays bullpen now? Yeah, it was it was quite the dynamic in the in the barf draft room when the trade went down. Uh, Eno Saris, uh, who I'm sure everybody listening knows, um, uh, had taken Pagan earlier in the draft, and so found out kind of around round 24 or something like that that uh, his for his first closer was no longer uh, going to be a closer. So that was a little bit of a bummer, just from a, a fantasy standpoint. I think. Uh, for Pagan leaving, obviously he loses a ton of value if for folks who have drafted him previously as a closer. Um, I think the situation with the Rays is a little murky. I think a lot of people are kind of anointing Nick Anderson as the as the uh, as the closer a little prematurely. That Rays bullpen is super deep. Uh, they've got five or six options in that bullpen who can close at any point in time. And knowing how um, they like to keep costs down. I don't think that they're going to give those saves to any particular person. And I think they certainly won't give them just to one uh, person. At least that's that that would be my sense. I do think it's interesting with Margot, whether it's going to be kind of like musical chairs, whether he's going to stay there and be the weak side of a platoon, or if this means that Kevin Kiermeyer and his contract might get moved out of town. 
Um, that'll be really interesting to see if there's any uh, secondary trades happening off of this trade. But um, it's true, definitely, definitely interesting. I just think, you know, it's one less guy who appeared to maybe be the closer uh, who is no longer one. Yeah, Sammy, how would you attack this race bullpen now? Because like Toby said, there's a lot of options there. Yeah, so I don't know. I kind of think that the resting brain take is like, okay, Nick Anderson's going to be the closer. This is awesome. And then, you know, kind of the the flashing brain take is what Toby said, which is, hey, like the, the Rays are going to mix and match. And Nick Anderson has one year of service time. Certainly they're not incentivized to make him a full-time closer even though he's probably got close to the best skills, if not not the best skills in that bullpen. I think the galaxy brain take is that this saved a lot of people who haven't drafted yet, who are going to take uh, Pagan as a surefire closer. And I don't think he was. I think that the Rays were going to do a lot of mixing and matching anyway. And so the idea that he was going to be like this for sure closer who's going to save, you know, 25 to 35 games, uh, probably wasn't in the cards in the first place and it's going to save people. So I agree with Toby's take. Um, I think that they will do a lot of mix and matching. I don't think any of us are smart enough to know who's going to lead that bullpen and saves, but I think it's an underdog that anybody saves 20, uh, any individual player. And yeah, I think uh, this trade saved some people from themselves thinking that the Rays were going to do this in the first place. What's really fun about this trade is if you're you know still ready to draft will help a ton but uh, additions you can make late in your draft if you're just looking for a few saves here and there because I'm with you. I think it's going to be a, a – I wouldn't say committee is the right word, but it's what the Rays do. They mix and match. Last year, I think they had six or seven guys get multiple saves last year, and I think a lot of those had like seven, eight, or more saves each. So they all had their chance, and, you know, Jose Alvarado had his chance, and Diego Castillo, and Pagan, and uh, Posh, and all these guys got their, their moments in the sun there. You look at roster resource – they actually have Anderson, Castillo, and Alvarado all listed as closers because they're just as lost as everybody else. It's that kind of mess. Anderson's going to be expensive. His his value is going to go up in ADPs. Not one that I want to pay for. I know at the draft, Eno immediately took Diego Castillo. And that's oh, Eno was on tilt, bro. Oh, Eno yeah. was yeah. tilted, and it was it was it was amazing. If you've never seen Eno like in a little bit of a freakout, it was a special moment. He tilted. He, he tilted a few times. It was pretty funny. He was. He was. And he was lucky though. His pick was coming up, so he's able to get Castillo right away. Right. But it, it seemed like that's the popular take on Twitter. I was noticing last night. I kept saying, "Why not Jose Alvarado?" Because he's. You know, he was the guy last year. Had some control issues. He could bounce back. I think what what I'm trying to get at in all these words is, you know, especially in daily leagues or something, go ahead and take some of these like Castillos, Alvarados late if you just want to rack up maybe ten to fifteen saves. But don't count on any of these guys to be the go-to guy. Because one thing that the guys that like uh, Ray Murphy and them at Baseball HQ say, you can roughly equate like 65% of teams' wins into saves. So if the Rays win 85, 90 games like they did last year, that's still, you know, a good chunk of stuff, like 50 saves or so, give or take. Split that up between three or four guys, you're still going to get a handful of saves. So something to keep in mind when you break it down. Now, Sammy – as the Padres guy in the crowd, Manny Margot heads there. Toby made a great point. Like um, Colette's been saying forever, Austin Meadows pretty much the only safe guy in that on that team for playing time. But Kiermaier was Mr. Defense. Now that's risky. Margot was once a heralded prospect, couldn't figure it out. What's your thoughts on Margot there? Is it just a kind of lost cause thing? Yeah, it's one of those things where there are so many factors working against him. Um just in terms of his playing time and his skill level, right? Like even if he were for sure going to get 500 plus plate appearances, could you really trust that he's going to be any good? And I think the answer is clearly no. So when you're looking at the Rays and you see Austin Meadows, he's going to be the guy who's in there. They are going to do a bunch of mix and matching with their outfield as well. This is what this team does. They they're kind of like, they remind me a little bit of the A's, uh, you know, 10 years ago or whatever, where they're trying to eke out every little bit of value from their guys. They're going to platoon a bunch. And I think the the proper thing to do is kind of consider your league format. You know, we're doing BARF, which is a daily moves league. And I think in that format, raise outfielders will have a little more value because you can take them out when they're not playing, et cetera, et cetera. But I think in weekly leagues um, or even biweekly like the NFBC, it's going to be a really tough obstacle to negotiate because 
the counting stats overall for these guys are not going to be there because they're going to be sharing so much time. So I think depending on the format, that's how you're going to kind of push these guys up or down your draft board. Yeah, I think the daily move thing's a, a big point. And then I want one more opinion from you, Sammy, and then I'll, I'll get yours, Toby. With Margot leaving, I know we joked about it last night at the draft. Will Myers is a lot safer now, huh? Yeah, well, this was a huge source of my tilt. You know, you thought Eno's tilt was funny. <laughs> I was pissed, bro. Every time I went to make a pick, you know, Justin Mason's like, hey, you're going to take Will Myers because I'm legit wearing a Will Myers jersey, right? <laughs> and I, I keep giving him the nah wave. I'm like, nah, I'm good. I'm actually good. And then after Will Myers gets taken, uh, certainly his playing time opened back up. And I think it's really popular to for people to say, look, I love the skills of Franchi Cordero. And I also love the skills of Franchi Cordero. But the thing you have to really look at with this guy is that he had 20 plate appearances last season. You know, he has played 79 career major league games. Like, this is not a guy who... Dude, he's not stepping in and getting 500-plus plate appearances. I would be super, super dubious for that to happen. And meanwhile, Will Myers, even though he has certainly kind of taken a step down and not been that good, if he gets a full complement of plate appearances, this is a dude who can push for 2020. I mean, if you look at his last three years, he's averaged more than 2020 per like 150 games. So I think it is a huge win for Will Myers, uh, even though he's not like a batting average guy. When you're looking at dudes who can contribute in both power and speed later in the draft, that's Will Myers to me. So if you've gotten him in any draft champions, et cetera, already, uh, I think he's going to provide a lot of value where you got him. Yeah, I'm pretty pumped on that. I was, I was uh, writing up a preview on Rotoballer for his player profile the other day and saw platoon possibilities and got very, very angry. And now this makes me feel much, much better. Um, Toby, what's your thoughts on like Will Myers and some of the maybe openings in San Diego? Yeah, no, I, I think Sammy's right on. Um, I, that's what that's what I it was. It was interesting to see Twitter's response, and there was such a big, like, uh, a pro Franchi um, group. And obviously, like, the skills are really, really exciting. The power speed combination, but you're talking about a guy like Sammy alluded to, not a ton of experience in the majors, and he has a 39% strikeout rate in 273 plate appearances. Right, so. The, just the skills are uh, the skills are great, like from a tools perspective. But he's never been able to really apply those um, consistently at all at the major league level. So I'm really excited about Will Myers. I had a bunch of Will Myers shares last year, which didn't work out so hot for me. But I totally agree. The guy can go 2020 if given enough plate appearances. He really struggled towards the beginning of last year. His contact rate cratered, but in the second half, he was a lot better. The contact rate came up to uh, career norms, and he has excellent plate discipline. I mean, last year, his uh, O swing was 18%, which is super elite. So he's going to get on base, 56% hard hit rate. Or am I looking at the wrong guy? I'm probably looking at Franchi Cordero. I am. I hate myself. Forget, forget what I just <laughs> You're said. like, this guy's good. Oh, no, wait, that's Franchi Cordero. <laughs> forget, forget, forget what I said, 28, 29% O swing. Uh, so he gets on base, walks at a decent click, 10%. I'm just going to stop now, but uh, he improved his contact rate second second half. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, no, it, it's going to be interesting to see going about like 280 right now. Looking forward to seeing where that climbs as things go on. But what we're all really here to talk about is what took place in San Francisco on Saturday. Saturday morning, afternoon, and evening took place during all those periods of the day. And it was the barf draft. It was the third year for me, Sammy, fourth year overall, right? Fifth year overall? Uh, gosh, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fourth year. Fourth year. Yeah, fourth year. So third year for me. Toby's second. This is where Toby and I met last year and started this wonderful thing we call a conversation to start Bubba and the Bat Flip. So let's get into the recaps. Toby, first off, what's your initial thoughts on your team? We'll get into certain snipings later. What's your thoughts on your team right now? Well, before before Toby even goes, can we talk about like the best line of the entire barf trap oh, when yes, Toby introduced yes. himself to Justin's Do, wife? Go for it, Sammy, because I was dying and I had to like point it out to you and it was amazing. Yeah, me and Bubber are like chatting like five feet away from, from Toby who goes in, you know, uh, introduces himself to Justin Mason's wife, Danielle, and he comes up and shakes her hand. He's like, hey, I'm Toby. And she goes, oh, nice to meet you. I'm Danielle. And he kind of looks at her and there's a pause and he goes, you might uh you might know me as Batflip Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I was dying, dying, dead. 
It was it was uh, it was very humorous. Uh, if people are listening and they don't think that's funny, it's maybe it's one of those you had to be there things. But I, I I thought it was great. This the struggle is real though. Like when I meet people in real life, <laughs> like I did this at first pitch Arizona. It's like you know, uh, people know like bat the bat flip crazy handle, but not everybody knows my name is Toby. So it's like I, I was like, do I cross off my name on my name tag at first pitch Arizona and just write? also known as bat flip crazy it's like it sounds ludicrous and uh but you know your, your brand is just so strong that your yes. your entire personality has actually been taken over and i've heard you on your pods try to mention your god-given name a little bit more so that people actually know who you are but that, it's just it's just really strong branding by you i gotta yeah, say I, I, have, I have a checklist to try to say toby at least 10 times an episode i'm just oh, kidding <laughs> it was so good though it was good point sammy because yeah, we were just chatting, and I'm like, "Did you just hear that?" Because that was unbelievable. It reminded me. I told Toby or Sammy, it reminded me of uh, Animal House. Uh, Rush Chairman, damn glad to meet you. Um, so it was, it was pretty good, pretty good. But Toby, what's on your team? Um, yeah, my team. I feel oh, I feel okay about my team. Um, heading into the draft, what I really noticed as I did my valuations is, and I think this is one thing that's tough. Like this is my only OBP draft that I do my only quality starts draft that I do. And so normally I, I like to target uh, starting pitching early as folks know, but in quality starts league leagues, at least according to the valuations that I run, which are not unique at all, as I'm sure Samuel will attest, because we pretty much have the same ones running them through the auction calculator on fan graphs. Um, but starting pitchers are, are elevated even more. And so I knew that I wanted to target two aces um, starting off. And then uh, what I was struggling with was stolen bases, just because it's so hard outside of the first few rounds to get any stolen bases with decent OBP. And so I kind of made a decision to kind of half-ass it a little bit on stolen bases and just kind of shoot for like kind of the glob of where, where a lot of people will end up towards the end of the season, like in the 90 to 110 range, according to like previous standing. So I punted stolen bases a little bit more than I would in a traditional draft, went heavy uh, four category OBP runs, home runs, and RBI um, early with my hitters after Jacob deGrom and Shane Bieber. I feel okay about it, but I definitely made some mistakes uh, uh, throughout the draft just in terms of I don't know, like maybe drafting Will Smith, hoping that Mark Melanson was going to make it back to me and having Bubba draft him right afterwards. Um, and then missing out on a couple really key targets, like when a guy named Sammy Reed took Kevin Biggio, who I really wanted a couple picks before I was able to get him. But all in all, I feel fine about it. It's not a, I don't, don't feel like it's a great team, but it's a workable team. I didn't lose during the draft, I think. That's always good. That's always the most important part. Sammy, what do you think about your squad? Uh, so honestly, I'm not that big of a fan. And I think the, the big thing is that Toby and I tend to have, uh, or bat flip crazy, if you will, tend to have really <laughs> similar approaches when we're building teams. You know, we drafted next to each other last year. I think we were number five and six, possibly. Um, and we both went double aces or pocket aces, as Toby likes to say, uh, in the first two rounds. And this season, I'm not necessarily going out of my way to go starting pitcher in the first two rounds, but I feel very uncomfortable not taking at least one in the first two rounds. And I kind of got to the spot. I had the number nine pick, and that was probably a spot where I wanted to take Justin Verlander. And Verlander ended up going number six, you know, when Acuna, Trout, Yelich, and then Cole DeGrom and Verlander went. And then Bellinger bets. So at number nine, really my, the two guys on my short list were going to be Juan Soto and Max Scherzer. And so obviously because of brand, I had to take Juan Soto. Um, you know, I, I probably would have boot, been booed out of the room if I didn't, but also Max Scherzer, while he does have a really excellent um, evaluation, when you look at his dollar value, you know, he's been great the last couple of years. There are some things that scare me about him, particularly back issues as things go forward. We've seen this with Clayton Kershaw, where Kershaw's back has cost him a lot of innings over the last couple of years. And when guys get into their mid-30s and they have back issues, that makes me a little wary of starting my team off with that player. And so I went with Soto. And then once you get to the second, it's like, okay, the, the guys that are there, the starters there, I don't really like any of them as much as the hitting there. Like, I still want to go best player available. And 
basically, long story short, is I ended up not taking a starter until the fourth round, uh, which was Lucas Giolito, who I'm extremely high on. The projection systems don't like him, but I'm a huge fan. Um, they will not like him because the last couple of years, uh, like two years ago, he was god awful. Um, and then last year, he made a big mechanical adjustment. His velocity came back. Um, you know, he was the best pitching prospect in the game for a time. I think that he's fantastic. So I feel good about him. But I'll be honest, I, I feel a lot better about him as my number two and not my number one. So I never really feel like I got to where I needed to be with starting pitching. And that's a very uncomfortable spot for me. I'm with you. Last year, I um, I did not have good starting pitching and it was very uncomfortable. But I actually wrote your team name down as one of the few that I really, really liked your draft. So it's interesting to hear how you didn't like oh, it. Really? I well, because I come from a background where I like to wait on pitching. So like, I can see where you were going. And uh, I don't mind it as much. And you, we, some of the pitchers you ended up going with, you know, Bumgarner quality starts. Like I should have specified, it's five by five OBP instead of average quality starts instead of wins. So you'll see a few different uh, drafting techniques involved here. But you know, overall pitching, I guess you don't have really much of a bench when it comes to pitching. You're kind of short in that respect. But um, I still don't, I don't mind what you did there at all by any means necessary, but uh, your bats are strong. Very, very strong. Um, for my team, Garrett Cole with the fourth pick, that's unor unorthodox for me, of course, but I couldn't just pass on it. I was, I took him, I took the fourth pick for a reason. I told Toby because he had the fifth pick. I said, don't worry about it, buddy. You're going to get either goal or to, Cole or to Grom. You're going to be very happy. So he was happy. He was kind of stressing for a minute there before the draft started, but he was good to go. And then I just went bats heavy. Somehow Nolan Arenado fell to me. Towards the end of the second round, nah, that was that must have felt really good. I'm going to be honest with you. I yeah. saw him fall that far, and I'm like, oh man, like somebody's going to be so pumped about this. Well, like I saw him and I had him ready to go. And then you said, "Don't screw it up." Mason's like, "Bubba, don't screw it up." Like it's such a. I'm so I, I literally walked back to my my spot, started going back over all the names. Like who the hell did I miss someone here? And then I went and did it. I'm like, okay, thank God. And then I just kind of stayed balanced, like Starling Marte, Javi Baez, Whit Merrifield. It's a daily moves league, so position eligibility, LeMahieu, a lot of balancing acts like that. Got a couple of my main pitchers that I'm getting everywhere in Erod and Max Freed. And I just kept kind of filling in kind of team needs. I feel like I'm a little weak on power overall. Like I have a lot of good 20 to 30 home run guys, but they're also kind of risky guys at times. So I'm kind of I'm kind of nervous in that respect. And my bullpen sucks. I got this guy named Mark Melanson. He's a starter, starting closer for the the uh, break. <laughs> yeah, so I got yeah. him right now, which is which yeah. is pretty cool. Came off the board after Will Smith. Wild idea. I know. It's but crazy going value. back to back like that. Who would have thought? <laughs> Great value. So, so I got him going for me, but. Uh, other than that, my bullpen, it, it's a little sketch. Ian Kennedy and Mark Melanson are my two closers. Don't feel the best about that, to be totally honest. But um, a lot of in-season moves coming my way there. But overall, I like my balance. I like my starting pitching a million times more than I did last year. And we'll wait and see if the happy fun ball's there. My team actually has upside. If it's not, might be really short on home runs. So we'll wait and uh, see on that one. So, Toby, let's just let's just get it off get it off the table right now. All right. You took you took Will Smith around 14. You want to elaborate on that? Uh, yeah, I want to I want to elaborate on this. So so <laughs> a lot of closures went uh went a little earlier, I think, than you know, have been going in NFBC drafts. Um, because the format is slightly different. It's also 14 teams. And so I was looking at getting adding a third closer. I think I already had Jansen and Colin May. So I was doing decently, but I really I liked Mark Melanson a lot this year. And, you know, everybody like seems to be assuming that Will Smith is going to get the job because he's got a higher ADP in most drafts by about like, you know, 60, 70, 70 spots. And so I was going in and, and it's a daily league. And so I thought, oh, it would be really nice to have both of them. It would be really nice to have Will Smith, solid ratios, solid Ks, like per inning. I can have him in there, you know, on, on, on a daily basis, maybe get some saves there. Um, but I also want to have Melanson. And so I was thinking about the ADP gap and I was like, well, if I go with Melanson here, somebody's definitely going to pick Will Smith because he, he goes higher in ADP and, you know, he's a better pitcher, you know, pretty like everybody, everybody's established. He's pretty much a better pitcher. And so I was like, so if I go Melanson here, I don't think I'm going to get Will Smith on the way back. But if I go Will Smith here, it's the 14th round in a 14-team draft. This would set like a new min pick record 
for Mark Melanson. Like who <laughs> in, on God's great earth would choose Mark Melanson in the 14th round? Blatant disrespect for your podcast. Uh, so I went with Will Smith, hoping that Mark Melanson would come around on the other edge. And I don't know, Bubba, what happened after that? Hey, yeah, kids, tell, kids, tell us how this happened, Bubba. Kids, kids, there's a lesson. Don't succumb to ADP. It's very simple. <laughs> Just, no, um, like I said, all I had was Ian Kendi up to this point. And Toby made a really good point there for a second. Is there was there was a closer run. I haven't seen in any draft yet. It was bananas. Like almost every main closer was already gone. So I'm sitting there going. You know, as the round goes on, all of a sudden Joe Jimenez goes. I'm sitting there going, okay, please yeah. Melanson fall to me. Please Melanson fall to me. And Toby walks up there, and I can't see who he picked. I saw it was a gray square. And I'm sitting there going, oh, crap. Because I know through the podcast, through talking in general, Toby loves Melanson. Toby has a – how many teams do you have Melanson on, Toby, besides uh, Barth? Because you don't. Uh, Melanson, I have him on six of my nine teams so yeah, far. Okay, that's what I thought. Do you have Will Smith on any of those teams? Uh, I have zero Will Smith. Actually, not, I have one. I have one Will Smith share. Actually, diversifying that, the profile. Do. That's smart. That's very smart. <laughs> diversifying the profile. Um, but I, I knew how much he liked him, so I'm like, okay, he just took Melanson. I'm screwed. Here we go. Great. And then he walks away, and I see Will Smith, and I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> this is gonna be great. Like, it's gonna be amazing. Oh, god. Um, I knew when the draft started. For one, drafting next to each other was gonna be a bad idea. Because we know each other too well. But, um, yeah, the Melanson falling to me, I could not do it. If it was rude, I apologize oh, to any no. listeners out there. But I needed it, and I still don't like my closers. So I, I was, it, was, it was a totally <laughs> sharp move on your end. And I just felt like such a joker. Like, we're in the 14th round, and I'm going to, like, double-tap closers on the same team. Like, <laughs> who, the, who in their right mind does that, right? And it, mm-hmm. what's funny is you just mentioned the gray sheets. So like it's one, it's a real draft board and we take the sheets and the sheets are color coordinated by position. And I remember when you got up there, I saw you were going for a gray sheet and you know, when Joe Jimenez has already gone that you're yeah. like really <laughs> in the dregs of the closers. And I was like, easy, bud, this can only mean one thing. No, uh, I didn't have uh, a shade around here. <laughs> well, Keon, hey, Jose Leclerc, Keona Killa all went already. It was okay. wild. But I took them. I needed them. It, it, I felt I felt bad for a few seconds. But then I know you're a smarter person than I am. But uh, it, it was it was a little tricky there at that point in time. But it, it got better because actually that was not even the first one that got you, Sammy. You got him on one in like round um, eight because there's one thing Toby did is I remember those that listen to the second base podcast. I think we mentioned many times second base is shallow. Many times. Toby, what round did you get your first second baseman in? <laughs> round uh, 26, Jerickson Profar. A, Easily a, the worst player on my team, I think. Hey, <laughs> Sammy, in round eight, who did you draft that? I know for a fact Toby was talking to me going, I really want this guy, and then you grabbed him. Uh, that would be one Cavan Biggio, and it's actually my first Cavan Biggio share. And let me tell you, there certainly is a, a – a hit of dopamine that hits you when you select somebody and then you hear somebody curse behind you or Mm -hmm. groan or throw something. You just know that not only have you made a pick that somebody else wanted and you feel good about that, but that you made somebody else, a good friend like Toby really sad. And, uh, you know, let me tell you, my, my cold dead heart really started beating fast (laughs) when that happened. It felt good. It, you know, uh, it was Toby once in a while, but Eno was the one that was getting pissy a lot. Like, he, he was getting sniped <laughs> left and right. He was pacing back and forth from his computer to the draft board. Like, I thought he was on a mission. It was amazing watching Eno draft. But now, this is a serious question. This isn't making fun of anybody. When the second baseman started disappearing the way they did, Toby, like, we were, oh, we were chatting at our little table, and he kind of had a strategy, and all of a sudden, another guy would go, oh, hey, this guy would go. Like, you know, we talked about it like I did it with Melanson there. I did it. I took Nico Goodrum at one point. One, you took Nico Goodrum super early. But what, I was, what I'm getting at there is we talked about with NFPC, when you're in these sharp rooms, you get to a point, you just go get your guy. And that's all I started doing. Like, I want this guy to, like, Nico Goodrum in a daily moves league. He fits like four positions. Like, bring him on. I'm in. You um, know, it, but can, can I, can I kind of yes, do yes. a little interlude here? Because I think you're, 
touching on a really great point. Uh, we saw this in Barf, and we will see it. No, my cat's making a bunch of noise. Excuse me. Um, we... it's, not my dog. it's not my dog for once, so I'm asking. Stupid ass cat. Um, you know, we see this in live drafts a lot that the energy of the room and the fact that you're not on a draft client, you know, when, when you're doing like NFBC drafts or Yahoo drafts or whatever, you're drafting in an online client and the players are listed, right, in, in the software. And people tend to kind of go off that. You know what I mean? They'll like look at the top like 20 players and say, I like this guy and I like this guy, even though I like this other guy a lot while well, he's way down the list so I can wait on him. And when you're in a live setting, people aren't paying attention to that. They have their own rankings and their own lists. And when guys are near the top, they take them. So I think that ADP is generally thrown out the window in a in a large way. People are generally aware, but in, in a lot of places, it just doesn't have the same weight that it does in online drafts. And like I said, we saw this in BARF this weekend. We see it in the main event all the time where people just get their guys. And at some point, you really have to do that. And I think the best managers have a real special way of feeling the energy of the draft and really having a sensitivity uh, of balance between their own rankings and ADP and, and finding out where those things come together. Yeah, it's it, it's a conversation I had with Modica on Twitter, like on the way to Barf. Is he was tweeting about it, so I jumped in. It's and we, I, we preach it a lot on the show. Is know the player pool. Like you don't have to know everything about everything, but just know the player pool. Have an idea of when, like a a, va a vague area when people go and then go get your guys. Like if you know, and, and one thing where we were drafting, at least you know, at the fourth pick, you're kind of on a turn almost. I was watching guys disappear like. 10 picks before I thought they were going to go. It was craziness. So pure craziness. But Toby, I, I'm just curious because you're super sharp. What was when you, when you started having second basements disappear, like I said, we were talking about at our little table, you wanted this guy and then he'd go and this guy and he'd go. And so you just kept punting it. Like you didn't force your hand is what I'm trying to get at here. Yeah. What strategy did you use there? Because I'm a big fan of not forcing your hand like in other positions. You didn't do it at a position you already knew was very shallow. Yeah, you know, heading into the draft, I felt like I was I was I was pretty sharp, and I feel pretty dull <laughs> after uh, after this draft. I feel I feel worn Toby, down. Toby, you're pretty sharp. Tell I, me what I, the I, hell happened during this draft. <laughs> he got frazzled. So, so, well, you know, we get we get this question a lot. Actually, I think like every time we do a position preview, we get this question about like who's the last you know, yes. third baseman or who's the last second baseman that you want to get. I'm pretty and sure Jerks and was not on that list. Yeah. Jerks and Presbar definitely <laughs> was not on that list. Um, but I mean, like generally speaking, it's like, you know, it doesn't really matter as long as your other positions are good. You know, like I'd rather have a good player at another position than try to fill my second base slot just because it's empty. Right. Right. And so I ended up with Jerks and Profar, you know, and, and I think Sammy makes a really great point. And I think one of the things that I, kind of I even mentioned early on in the draft is it's so hard because we've all been drafting using average and now we're in an OBP draft and so it really just shifts the dynamic like horribly right Josh Donaldson was my first hitter at pick 33 right um, and so obviously like hitters are going at different spots and it's just really hard to tell you know when the right time to grab somebody was because you know I have like a bunch of second basemen like Jerks and Profar is like a four. I have him as like a four dollar player. Was that which is actually higher than Nico Goodrum? So maybe I'm not. I'm not as sad, oh, but I really needed. Oh, still, I, I needed see, I stolen bases. I see. I needed stolen bases. Um, and and so that's the only reason why I went with with Profar there because he provided at least a little bit. But second base was super shallow. And no, I mean Goodrum's a great pick because it's a daily league and he has all that position eligibility. And I was just trying to get a little bit too cute, but it was literally like, I really wanted Gavin Lux. And I was going to get Gavin Lux at like, I think like about a one round ahead of where he usually goes. And then mm -hmm. Matty, Matt, uh, uh, Matthew Maybe. Wood, you know, who also plays the main event, super sharp player, also Dodgers fan, he snags him. And then I was going to get Ryan McMahon right after that. And he went like right after Lux. And then I think Sammy, you grabbed Rubenetto Door right before I was going to get him. And then Dalton Del Don grabbed like, Cesar Hernandez, like, you know, uh, right when I was going to get him. So it was just like, like dude, you, you guys have four second basemen. What you doing? Why are you snaking my dude? <laughs> exactly, dude. Who needs it? There's a shortstop so deep. Why are you getting a middle infielder that's a second baseman? But, right. but, but it's just like, uh, 
but again, like, you know, I, I'm, I'm sad about that, but the good thing is, is like, I now know that I have this glaring weakness in Drixen and Profar. And just so you know, I did look at the major league schedule and the Padres play the Rockies to begin with. And so I feel, I feel okay about that first week. Um, but you know, I know, I know I have a weakness. It's the weakest spot on my like starting lineup. And so hopefully I can grind it into something you know, or someone who, who is decent. I even did things like trying to get Gene Segura, who's only a shortstop, knowing that he's going to get second base eligibility in a little bit. And he went, so I don't know. Sometimes you just like give up and, and, and try to take the best player. Hey, Sammy, when you're looking at your team and we, we kind of talked about your overall thoughts on it, were there any picks you kind of just regretted? Like after the fact going, why did I take this guy? Oh, that's a, that's a really good question. Uh, it wasn't, I don't think there were actually any picks where I regretted taking a player. I think there were picks where I regretted not taking somebody else. You know what I mean? Good way um, to phrase it. No, that's true. Good way to phrase yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. Like no players. Do I look at my team and I'm like, Oh, that sucks. Like, I don't like this guy, but you know, there's always two things going on during your draft. You're trying to take good players and you're also trying to construct a really good, well-balanced team. And, you know, like, I think what, what Toby was talking about is you don't just want to draft for need, right? Yes. Like, if you sit there and draft for need, like, you see NFL teams do this all the time. They forego just better overall players for, like, a player that they need. Oh, this team lost a safety this year. This guy makes a lot of sense. That's BS, bro. You need to be taking good players. And so, like, when I wasn't taking pitchers early, it's because I had hitters ranked above the pitchers um you know and at some point you need to understand that once you get enough talent on your team you need to start drafting for need at least at some point you need to kind of take the worst of it in expected value to fill a spot and so I think this kind of relates to what Toby was saying at second base he wasn't willing to like just take a guy he thought wasn't that good over a guy he thought was just because he needed that position uh, but again, it's a real feel thing, kind of figuring out at what point do you bite the expected value bullet and take a guy that fills a need. And, and you know, I really think that figuring that out in draft is is the hallmark of a good drafter. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're at the bar fleet, dude. We're in a bar. We're eating pizza. We're taking shots of tequila. You know, I can't say that we're all at our very sharpest during the draft. Like, let's be honest, right? <laughs> like, I'm 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 running outside every ten minutes to like smoke a cigarette with you know bum a cigarette off somebody. I'm like, oh, I got a bunch of tequila. Let's have cigarettes. And somebody runs out. Hey, it's your turn. And I'm like, oh snap! Like, you know, the whole thing was a disaster, and it's great. But but certainly, like roster construction wise, uh, you know, I ended up taking a bunch of hitters early, and I think there were a couple spots where especially after like the first five rounds where I could have foregone a certain player. Uh, Like I took Joey Gallo in the fifth, for example, Mm -hmm. I love Joey Gallo. I'm a huge Joey Gallo Stan, especially in an on base percentage league where his downside in the ratio category is just so, so limited because he walks a lot. Um, I I love this player. Right. But I only had one starter up to that point and I easily could have taken a Zach Grinke or Severino or a Barrios a guy like that instead of Gallo, but I just thought Gallo was the best player. And like the way things shook out, possibly I, I think I might've been better served by taking a start, a start, a second starting pitcher at that point. Yeah. That's, that's You phrase that really well. Cause it, it, I'd like to think we're all sharp enough where we're not going to go draft guys that we don't like to begin with. We're not forcing picks like, like Toby was saying at second base. That's why I wanted to ask the question to explain that to people. Uh, so I, that that's more the thing is, you know, looking back on it, you know, should I have taken this guy instead of this guy? Stuff along those lines. Um, my biggest one, and I'm a big Saudi Perez fan, but it's OBP and, and, you know, Sammy's such a good friend. I get back to the table. I'm like, dude, I should have taken someone else. His OBP's horrible. And Sammy's like, they're catchers, man. All their OBPs suck. <laughs> I, was like, I, was like, I was like, thank you, Sammy. That's why we're friends. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. But, please uh, please point out the catcher as the good on-base percentage. Yes, he made me feel so better so quick. But, like, because Carson Kelly went right after him, and, and then um, Omar Narvaez, the next two guys I wanted, but the next two catchers off the board. So I took my guy. But other than that, I can kind of justify and feel good about everything else I did for the most part for now. So I'm pretty, pretty happy on that front. Uh, Toby, was there anything that stood out? to you out, outside of the Will Smith thing that stood out to you um, 
in your draft? Well, you took away my joke by saying outside of the Will Smith thing because no. I was going to stay 14th <laughs> round. I definitely would have done that a lot different. Gone, gone with maybe Mark Melanson or something like that. Um, not, not really. I mean, there's definitely like, you know, there's times in drafts. I feel like um, uh, where, you know, with the, there was just certain times like because, because of the way the draft worked, right? It's the only OBP draft. Um, you've got your valuations there. Like, to be honest with you, I, I spent like the night before studying them or whatnot, where you kind of like get this glimmer in your head of like what's possible. And that's what I felt like when Kevin, when I, when I wanted to get Kevin Biggio, it's like, I have this need at second base, super second base in OBP leagues is super shallow. Like I didn't have a guy worth more than 18 bucks at second base, the whole draft. And there was only like maybe, you know, 10 guys who were $10 or more in terms of the valuations. And so I had this like glimmer of hope around Kevin Biggio, just like, oh my God, this could be like the perfect thing. I need speed. I need second base. Kevin Biggio get to me. So like that would be the only one where I think I took, I took Carlos Santana. And I don't think I really had Biggio on my radar until after I took Santana. And I think that's the one where I feel like I made a little bit of a mistake only because there was a couple more rounds of like power heavy OBP solid first baseman, like Edwin Encarnacion was kind of the last one to go in round 10. Yep. And so I feel like I maybe if I, if I was a little sharper, I could have gotten Biggio earlier instead of Santana and maybe still gotten Biggio coming around. But you know, like if that's the worst thing, then, oh, well. And then God, I, I know you said, don't talk about it, but the Will Smith <laughs> thing is just like, I told you before the show started, that's gonna I was be like trying the to one be nice. Pick. That's the one pick I'm going to remember throughout the whole draft season. And maybe like a good pick just to remind me, like, don't get cute, man. Don't get cute. Get, like like Sammy was saying, get your guys, pick your players. Don't try to get too cute. If you if you see value, if you like a guy more, draft him. You know. Yeah. Well, let me let me throw one thing out there that may or may not make you feel better. There okay. will always you'll you'll walk out of every draft saying, mm -hmm. "God, I made a mistake here." Like if somebody walks out with a perfect draft, let me know about it. It'll be the first yeah. time in history. And I've had this happen a number of times where I just left the draft so tilted about this one thing, this one player that I took instead of another player that I really wanted, and then I didn't get the other guy. And so many times it ends up working out just fine. Like there's a legitimate chance that Will Smith ends up getting the job, the closing job. And we don't even think about this again. And Toby's like, Oh yeah, I got a closer. You know, we're sitting here we on February 8th. Like we don't know squat and mm -hmm. You know, even though it's kind of tilting, um, I, I, I think that it has actually a decent possibility of working out just fine. So, yeah, I, I completely agree. I think Will Smith's the better reliever. I would not be shocked if Will Smith has more saves, maybe twice as more saves by season's end. I, I really wouldn't kick yourself too much on that one. Um, we talked about OBP being different, quality starts being different. You guys that make your spreadsheets were having, you guys were all talking about how you couldn't find like the right, I guess site to, to pull from or whatever terminology you guys use on computers and then um <laughs> it, 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 like i just sit there looking at sammy's sheet i'm like oh that's pretty slick man all, oh it's pretty simple like, that's pretty slick man um <laughs> but uh how samuel start with you on this one how do you go into like for the listeners that don't play in obp and i think obp is kind of the way of the future and we talked about it at the draft that nfpc probably won't go there anytime soon because they're kind of old school and stuck in their ways but we're seeing more and more. I think Tout went to OBP on most of theirs, and we're seeing some of the other other kind of long lasting leagues go that direction. OBP wise, how do you kind of prepare yourself for that since it is different than what we're all used to? Yeah, I, I think number one is it's a really good point that a lot that OBP is kind of becoming more popular in our fantasy space, and I think the reason is is because, it, frankly, it's a superior stat, right? It encompasses a player's real life value a lot better than batting average does. And it's less variant, meaning that, you know, on a, on a year to year basis, uh, there's not as much variance in on base percentage. It's a more predictable and stable stat than batting averages. And so I think for those two reasons, uh, it, it encompasses skill better and it encompasses skill of the fantasy player better because it's more predictable. Um, I think it's a, it's a great way to play. Uh, I think you're absolutely right that leagues like NFBC that are kind of like 
old school and we'll keep the classic five by five format together. That's all well and good. Uh, but in terms of preparing for on, for on base percentage, I think that that Matt Modica quote is really apt. It's know the player pool, right? If you're so used to judging guys by their batting average, that's all great. But I think one of the big things is knowing, understanding like who walks and who doesn't. And those guys who walk, it can really make or break value. I mean, we talked about, you know, Joey Gallo's a shining example. His batting average floor, he could easily hit 200, but the guy, you know, walks a ton. And so his on-base percentage is going to be really stable at 340, probably at the lower end or higher. He could easily be a 350 or 360 guy. On the flip side, there's going to be uh, other dudes who we like because they tend to have high batting averages, but they don't walk a lot. And so there's a lot of uh, kind of variance in their, a wide range in their outcomes. Think of uh, Adalberto Mondesi, right? And I think our draft valued him very well. I mean, he's going in the early third in a lot of batting average drafts because he is supposed to hit 270 um, or 260, somewhere in there, which is fine. But in this draft, he went in the early sixth round round Mm -hmm. because his on-base percentage has a great chance of being under 300. (laughs) So I think really knowing this stuff and understanding it and then, you know, having projection systems, obviously, that'll do a lot of the heavy lifting for you um, will, will help out. And then what we talked about, like, all bets are off. Like ADP will get chattered in these kinds of drafts. You know, we saw uh, Toby's draft. I mean, Toby took a lot of guys way above ADP because they are much better in uh, on base percentage formats. Carlos Santana and Reese Hoskins, I think, are, are two shining examples of that. Definitely. And like, we can keep going farther. Toby took Josh Donaldson in the third round, which mm-hmm. is way higher than normal. Toby, how did you go about kind of evaluating? your OBP tar- type targets for the draft. How did you prepare? Like what, did, what cheat sheet, how, how did you put it in your, in your, um, your formula? Yeah. So it was pretty, um, it was pretty simple. I, I just used a, like um, Sammy mentioned, it's really hard to find data on OBP leagues. That's broader than just a single league. Right. And it's also difficult to find quality starts data, like all of the fan graphs, you know, public uh, projection sites don't, don't do quality starts, right? And so what I what I've done the last couple of years is just go to the auction calculator. You know, it allows you to uh, on fan graphs and allows you to put in like the number of teams. You know, the batter hitter split, which I normally set around 60, 63, 64, depending on the league. Um, and then you know I just calculate it and then I I I upload those like into Excel and I, I add filters to them and it allows me to filter them by. <laughs> you know, the valuation and then by position and, um, and then also a little bit by, by stats. And I really like, I trust those valuations because they make sense intuitively to me. But I think the challenge was, which Sam alluded to is like, you've got these huge discrepancies between what, like, I think in most people's mind, a guy is, is worth versus, you know, what, what the, what, what the projections are going to say in an OBP league. And Donaldson's a clear example of that. And so, yeah, I ended up targeting a bunch of guys that are just really heavy OBP guys, like like Josh Donaldson was one, Reese Hoskins. Um, understanding that like Gary Sanchez, in some respects, is more valuable than Real Muto in a single league um, because it's OBP and he has a higher walk rate than Real Muto. The power is going to be uh, greater than Real Muto uh, likely is, and the stolen bases aren't as necessary in a standalone league as they are in like saying overall where you really need to be balanced across the board. So I think that was the key thing. And then also quality starts, like the quality starts is key because there's a huge drop off. You know, there was like what, uh, 11, uh, like 14 guys who had 20 or more quality starts. And then it just drops off pretty precipitously after that. Um, and there's just a huge difference, like right between DeGrom and like there's a 10 quality start difference between DeGrom and the 33rd, you know, ranked guy in quality start. So there's just a big separation there. So just kind of thinking about those things ahead of time and not being worried about jumping ADP unless it's a second baseman. Because if it's a second baseman, you got to just wait <laughs> and wait and wait. Um, but are generally, you- like, that's, 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 that's how I do it. And I think that, that would be helpful for other people who are out there who have kind of different leagues, both size-wise. And with the stats is just to kind of run that auction calculator. Don't go 
exclusively buy it, like by the valuations, like don't be super rigid about it, but just see kind of if guys are in the, in the general ballpark of each other before you, before you draft them. And, and the, the big thing with OBP, like you guys both are saying, and it's the word that Eno loves to use. I think Doug and I were talking about it during the draft, Doug Thorburn, um, is it's super sticky. Like you're saying, Sammy, it, it's much more, you can, you can kind of plan for more guys that walk, walk. It's not like you just all of a sudden hit 350 because you're bad with the 381 season. It's right. guys that have good plate discipline, have good plate discipline. You Can you get better plate discipline? Yes. Do you usually lose good plate discipline? Not very rapidly. So um, it, it's something you can kind of count on a little more. Makes it it's really, really interesting overall. So I, I like the OBP. This is the, the – the, I, like this, this, I don't think Barf's always been OBP. I think this is the second year of OBP for Barf. So um, it'll be fun to see how it keeps expanding on all of this. Uh, let's just have some fun real quick. We'll, we'll just take a quick hot lap through our thoughts on other teams that we, we kind of stood out to us. For those that don't uh, know, obviously, because you didn't see it on Twitter, I didn't mention it because I'm a bad host. Um, we have 14 teams in this league. Crazy Mike drafted first. Uh, Eno drafted second. Eno Saris of the Athletic. Thug Life, Doug Thorburn drafted third. I drafted fourth. Toby drafted fifth. Kang Doe drafted sixth. Uh, the defending champion, Joe G, who I thought had a very sneaky good draft, drafted seventh. Uh, Matty Wood, talking about him, uh, he drafted eighth, new to the league. Uh, Sammy drafted ninth. Our boy, uh, Giants Homer, drafted t- uh, tenth. We had Howard Bender, team named Gravy Boat, drafted 11th. Mason drafted 12th. Uh, who the heck? Oh, uh, Zach, Matt's Zach. friend. Very, very good NFPC player. Drafted not, uh, sharp 13. kid, sharp kid, very like sharp. That. very yeah. sharp, and way too polite for our room. Way too polite. And um, Dalton Del Don from Yahoo Sports drafted 14th. So just kind of going around in a circle here, Sammy. What's a team that stood out to you of having a pretty sharp draft? So there, there were several that I liked, and and you mentioned uh, you mentioned Joe, who's the defending champ. Uh, gosh, got the better me at the end of last season. Just yeah, quietly sitting there sniping good picks. He had a great team. Uh, the the guy that I will throw out is Matt Davis uh, at Matty Wood on Twitter. Uh, him and Zach are really good friends. They team up uh, in NFBCs. They do a lot of high dollar auction leagues. They're both just just real sharp kids, and I think they're kind of like the next wave of young smart NFBC players, you know, adding guys like Vlad Sedler to that, who are going to kind of take over NFBC in the next couple of years. And he just had a really strong draft. I thought that he took some shots where he believed in guys. Uh, He sniped me several times and I'll talk about some of his picks. He picked right before me at number eight and he went Betts, Judge, Xander Bogarts. And then he went Kershaw, you Darvish. He got Bo Bichette. uh, He snaked, so he snaked me multiple times. The three players he snaked me on right before uh, I was going to pick, the pick before, he snaked me on Trevor Bauer in the seventh. Um, so I ended up getting Zach Wheeler as my number two. I would have liked Trevor Bauer quite a bit more. He later on uh, got Justin Turner, David Dahl, Gavin Lux, Alex Verdugo, Kyle Hendricks, who I think are all really solid, uh, Brandon Nimmo, and then the two other picks he sniped me on, uh, Herman Marquez in the 17th, right before I was going to take him because it's a daily moves league. So you can uh, take him out for those course starts if you want to. And uh, I just really liked Marquez there. I think if you manage him well, he can be a really, really excellent pitcher. And in the the 17th, I just thought that was amazing value. And I knew for a fact he was going to snipe me because he asks Hey, this is a, a daily moves league, right? And people are like, "Yeah." And then I see him walk up, and he goes to the 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 black stickers, which are the starting pitchers, and he picks the list up. And I'm like, "Oh, dude, there's he's taking Marquez." And I told you, Bubba, I'm like, "Dude, mm-hmm. he's taking Marquez. He's gonna snake me right now." And he did. Uh, so that put me on some tilt. And then the next go around, I was all set to take Daniel Murphy in the 19th, who's one of my favorite bounce back candidates. Uh, and and he snaked me for him as well. So I think overall. You know, he got some guys later, like Nimmo and Dustin May, Cole Hamels. Um, yeah, Corey Dickerson. I mean, he he just really had a solid draft all up and down. And he took some well-calculated shots with guys like Verdugo and David Dahl um, and Gavin Lux, who I think, you know, are riskier type of players. But I think they all have huge upside. And in the spots he got them, 
uh, I, I was really impressed. And and he kind of came out and showed why he's kind of one of the better up and coming fantasy players out there. So so big ups to Maddie. Yeah, I, I kept giving Maddie Trump uh, a hard time because every it seemed like every time he went up there, it was a Dodger player or a former Dodger player. Or an MLS oh, yeah. player. So I'm like, thank God it's not a head-to-head league because I'd be lucky enough to face him when the Dodgers have four and tours and just get actually smoked when I face Matt. But you look at his roster, and it, it's a thing that I don't pay enough attention to while I'm drafting, but I think he does because I, I think he's that smart at what he's doing. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he just fell this way. All but one of his pitchers in the National League. That's a big plus. You know, It's not a must for anybody, but those things add up after a while. Uh, and then just where he's, he's got so many NL West guys that they're going to get half their road games and Coors against Colorado. I catch just bananas. Absolutely really crazy stuff there. So, yeah, good call on that, on how that uh, played out. Uh, Toby, what's one of the teams that stood out to you when you're looking at it? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to be like a total homer on the podcast, but I actually – I really liked both of your guys' um, offenses Aww, a thanks. lot. I just, I just love you guys. Um, but no, I, well, we, well, we like your pitching, so uh, maybe yeah. we can work on that. Yeah. I, I was right. about to say, Sammy, did you notice he didn't say our team? No wonder you like my hitting because I didn't take a damn pitcher. <laughs> your, 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 your hitting is awesome. Your, your, your pitching is garbage. I uh, know. Um, <laughs> if you don't have the two aces, I'm just like, come on. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I like your team and all, but you're not going to win. So. <laughs> No, but like I feel like the toughest thing for these drafts is focusing on OBP. And then I think when you look at um, what you guys did offensively, like Sammy in particular, yours, I like look at your roster and like Alonzo at first base, you know, uh, Kevin Biggio at second, Jose Ramirez uh, at third, Machado at short, um, Odor at, at, at middle infielder, obviously his OBP is not great, but like where you got him is excellent. But like yeah, I, had to, I, had to spend, I had to spend some of my on base equity to get a little power speed down there. Uh, totally. But I think that that is, um, like, that's one of the things that going into the draft I tried to do was similar to batting average, right. Is build a cushion because you know, later on you're just chipping away at it, you know? Right. And so if you can chip away with a guy who's going to get you like, you know, probably like close to 30 home runs over 10 stolen bases. I mean, that's, that's really nice. So I really like what you were able to do there. And then similarly, Bubba, like I felt like you got a really nice balance of players, like your outfield in particular, um, like Starling Marte, Loriano, Chu and Kanya. Like they're all kind of um, at least the bottom three, like Chu, Loriano, Marte are all like guys who contribute in every single category and don't necessarily hurt you anywhere. Um, like Marte and Loriano aren't OBP studs, but they're, you know, in, in, it's so hard to find stolen bases with OBP in this league that if you can do it without really hurting yourself, um, that that is, uh, that's, I think that's a really, really strong thing to do. I would agree with Maddie, uh, with Matt, uh, Matthew Woods team. Um, I think that his, his pitching, um, you mentioned Sammy, like the, just the depth of it. I feel like there isn't a ton of weakness, like. Bauer for whatever he may or may not do like quality starts. He's better than wins probably. And then the volume um, of strikeouts should be decent. You know, Darvish, Hamels, Hendricks, the Hendricks pick was another one where I like realized he hadn't been drafted yet. I think that was pick 173 um, uh, that he drafted him at. Like he was a guy that I wanted Kershaw just really solid from like a ratio perspective. Right. And he, and he didn't take a hit a pitcher until round four. Right, yeah, he, he as, planned it really well. Yeah, the same as me, but I thought he pulled off catching up on pitching better than I did. You know, he he really had a good plan and ended up with a really good staff despite starting off Betts, Judge, and, and Xander. So I, I just thought he was really sharp in that regard. Definitely, yeah. And so uh, it was, um, yeah. I mean, it was a, it was, it was, a, it was a blast of a draft. But it was, it was a, it's a sharp room, and so I don't think anybody left with like there's no team that just kind of blew me away as being head and shoulders above um, the others. And so I think, you know, it should be, it should be a really fun season. I think um, Bubba, what about you though? Who, who's, who's uh, drafts did you like the most? Uh, I think I'm going to, one of the ones I mentioned, I like Sammy's at, at the get go. I, I like, cause you pretty much drafted a team like I normally would. Cause I don't, th- I usually don't take pitching early. So you go bats and you kind of piece it together. So I like what you did there for sure. 
But like I, I mentioned it a second ago, Joe had a quietly like just low like Bellinger, Bregman. Then he comes back with Snell in the third round, which I thought was great for the way pitching was going to still get Snell there was pretty nice. And then he, he got Meadows, who I knew you were wanting, Toby, and then VR and Woodruff. Just goes down the list. I think his seventh round pick of Shohei Otani was sneaky good. Because it's a daily moves league. After three starts uh, as pitcher, he becomes a starting pitcher and a designated hitter. So he can move him in and out of the, on fan tracks like that. So that's a sneaky nice move in the seventh round. And then so on and so forth. I wanted Nick Castellanos so bad. And he, he got him in the ninth round. And I thought that was very good value. I, I really like what he did with his team. Like you guys said, there's really no bad teams out the draft. And then one thing I, I would suggest people that they want to see the um, the whole draft board. It was tweeted out a couple different places. I know Howard Bender wrote an article on it. Watch what Dalton Del Don did on the turn in a 14-team league. You just look at his roster. He went and got his guys. He didn't, like, adhere to ADP. But he just loaded up on, like, top-end pitching or good LBP guys. Like, he went uh, Chris Bryant and Vlad Guerrero on back-to-back rounds at one point. His – his team is sneaky good. It's like not super flashy at times, but he just added guys that really built the team together. And it's not always easy when this draft, like we talked about many times was really crazy on the runs, like really crazy. So the way he was able to sit back and watch everything take place uh, from all those picks on the turn, I thought was sneaky good. And, I, I uh, agree I with that. Every sports. time I looked at one of at one of D three's uh, swings, I was like, man, he just took two good players. Every single time, I'm like, man, I like those picks, and uh, you know, it, it's his, it's his first year in this league, I think. Yes, it's um, his first year. Yep. Yeah, he did football, but he didn't do baseball last year. So, so his first in the, in in the baseball league, and you know, I've been a big fan of his for quite a while. You know, he's been a OG Yahoo guy for several years. Been a big fan of his content. It was super cool to meet him in real life, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, like it, you never know, like some fantasy analysts are actually not very good fantasy players. And he came in, and I thought he he did a really really good job. Very impressed by him. Yeah, he was just quiet in the corner doing his thing. But he it wasn't he wasn't like avoiding people. You can go talk to him the whole time. He was like focused because he he told me when I was over there talking to him at one point. He's like, yep, first draft of the year, trying to figure it out. Because he's like, I don't do a lot of OBP leagues, and it's kind of how we all were. We're all sitting there, kind of like you know asking each other, kind of poking at each other just to get a little info. Like, how are you going about this? How are you going about it? And he's just kind of sitting there doing it. He was funny because. We'd be sitting there in between picks, kind of, you know, BSing and having fun. You were talking about you go take shots and have a smoke or everything going on. Dalton literally had like his computer, his phone, spreadsheets on the table. He was focused. He was <laughs> locked in and it showed. It showed in a big way. But um, before we call this one a night, Toby, final thoughts on the barf draft. What's your overall thoughts on what took place in the city? Um, well, I mean, it's just like it's awesome to um to be a part of the draft. I mean, the second time, this is only my second ever live draft. I'm going to be doing some live drafts in Las Vegas, which will be a lot of fun, but it's just a great time to get together uh, with folks. Like there's a lot of great people in the industry in the Bay area. So if anybody else wants to move to the Bay area, who's part of the industry, I definitely highly recommend it, but just a a thank you to um, Justin in particular for just pulling, pulling it together. He invited me last year, like on a whim because I was moving uh, locally and, um, just a really, really awesome time, a chance to see you guys, believe it or not, Bubba and I have only seen each other twice in, in real life. Um, and so it was nice to see you Bubba and then Sammy, the three of us were kind of, uh, chilling at one table, um, uh, having a good time. It was just awesome. And so it should be a really fun season. It's so interesting because it's OBP, it's quality starts and it's also daily. And so like, you can really see, you can really work the grind. Like last year, when I look at you know, the number of games played um, by each team, I think you can kind of see who's, who's kind of grinding it out a little bit. Um, And so that's always an interesting element to it too, is like another uh, layer of strategy on there um, from just a a daily leagues or daily changes perspective. So a ton of fun, uh, really had a great time. Thank you to Justin for helping put that together. Um, It was awesome. For sure. Sammy, final thoughts on the Bark Draft. Yeah, uh, I echo those sentiments for Justin Mason. Also for Todd Alsman, who's the owner and proprietor of the Rec Room. And he is a part of, he he didn't do the baseball this year because he had some things to do with his kids, but he's normally a part of Barf. And the Rec Room is a super awesome bar. Um, If you're like ever in the city, you should go. Like frequent that place. It's really great. 
And I think like, just from a draft perspective, I think the first live draft of the year is always a really good thing to get under your belt. You know, if the first live draft you're doing of the year is you're doing, you know, a $1,700 main event or a $2,500 <laughs> auction, you know, it's good to get your feet wet a little bit and understand that live drafts are a little more chaotic and understand the things you need to do to kind of keep your wits about you and know what's going on with the player pool and where your team's at and where other teams are at. It's much easier to lose yourself uh, in those ways than it is when you're just doing online or even, you know, like a slow draft, like we're doing a lot of right now. Um, the dynamic is a lot different. So I think getting your feet wet in that regard is really huge. And Barf is just a lot of fun. You know, I've done this for, you know, my fourth year and people are like, dude, what the hell is Barf? It's the Bay Area Rotisserie Fantasy League. Uh, Justin Mason just had to make like an inappropriate acronym, which is very on brand for him. Uh, but it's a great league and there is a lot of sharp people in this room and, and adding Matt and Zach to it, Dalton Del Don. I mean, there is, you know, you guys like Doug Thorburn, dude, I've competed against Doug for years and years in our home leagues and he's a big winner, dude. He is really sharp. And so there are so many sharps, you know, Joji, I mean, everybody. And uh, it's a really tough competitive league and I'm really, really looking forward to it. Yeah, it's awesome. It, it, it's real fun because I think out of the 14 guys, I want to say nine or 10 of us do this kind of analyze and do podcasts or writing or something along the way. And there's like three or four, you know, you said the term pros versus Joes, but they're not because they're sharp as hell. And it's really funny. Mason and I, we were setting it up yesterday. We looked at the the trophy and, and Todd was there and it like four years of baseball, it's been two analysts and two of the Joes. Right. So it just shows you how like sharp the room is overall. And it tells you not just because people don't write or podcast doesn't mean they're not sharp to begin with. And it's a ton of fun in that room. A lot of fun. I, I, I love it every year. I said it many times on the show. Watching Eno draft is one of my favorite things to do. It is so fun. Because, because you kept poking at him like, oh, it's not like you have a podcast or, you know, <laughs> or an article that I read like three times on the way here. Like, who, who knows what you like, you know? And he's just, oh, it's awesome. Absolutely yeah, amazing. You know, you know, is the best and he's so much yeah. fun. And the thing I love about, Eno is a, he's very sharp. Like he knows his stuff and B he's like one of the most popular analysts out there. He's followed by a million people on Twitter and he's like the most down to earth, like cool mm -hmm. dude. Like he's just as cool in real life as you would think he is. Yeah. The first time I met, Eno, I was at a Starbucks in Paso Robles waiting for my wife and he tweeted a picture at the Firestone Brewery, which is across the freeway from where I was. And I just sent him a message and said, mind if I come by? I sat and had like four beers with him and told my wife I was going to be late. So like, <laughs> that's just, that's just how Eno rolls. But um, we could talk forever, but we'll wrap it up there. Barf was awesome drafting the books. Like Toby said, now the grind really begins because what trades are going to happen still? Jock Jams deals off the table. So that's going to be fun to see what happens there. But uh, make sure you guys check out Sammy on Twitter at Sammy Reed FI. Toby at Batflip Crazy. I'm at Pediatric. Thanks for joining us in this one. We'll catch you guys later. That is going to wrap us up for episode 115 of the Batflip Crazy Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. That was an absolute blast. Uh, talking to Bubba and Sammy, even though both of them sniped me uh, on some key picks, we can put that aside for the evening um, and get along and just have some good conversation. But it was it was a ton of fun. I really enjoyed that. Should be a really fun league. Um, yeah, we will. Uh, you will hear from Bubba and I uh, on Monday night slash Tuesday morning. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Take care and be kind to one another.